One Hope Church. Okay, we're good. Good, Derek? All right. Glad to have each and every one of you here this morning as we continue uh, to work through the book of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 20 this morning. Again, glad each and every one of you are here. And um, as scripture, as was already said this morning, where two or, th- or more are gathered in his name, he's in the midst. And so Jesus is here and definitely agree with that prayer. Derek, just pray that we would give the Lord um, all that he is due um, this morning um, and always and throughout our lives. Um, so let's go ahead and just read the first um, 16 verses of chapter 20. Um, but actually, I want to end, sorry, I want to begin with the end of chapter 19. Um, just the last verse there to remind us where we came from from last week. Uh, Jesus said, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the labor, laborers for a denarii, which was a day's wage, or a denarius, which was a day's wage, for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And when he went out about the third hour, 9 a.m., and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, he said to those, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. And again, it went out about the sixth hour, which is noon, and the ninth hour, 3 p.m., and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, 5 p.m., he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why have you been standing here all, idle all day long? And they said to him, Because no one hired us. And he said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard came to his foreman, called the laborers and paid them for their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. And when those hired first came, they thought they would have received more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have only worked an hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to them, Frim, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go, but I, I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning you would um, help us to understand you and your word um, more and more. We apply it rightfully um, in our lives. Lord, um, we thank, we're thankful that you are a generous God. And Lord, help us not um, to compare ourselves with others, but to uh, enjoy the generosity that you have given to each one of us. We thank you for your great love for us, and we pray that as we take the bread and cup this morning, we would worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord, and all things uh, for your glory and honor. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, so as we read this parable, I have to admit that this is one of those in the scripture that I read, and I'm kind of like, hmm. And, and there's part of us, I think, that, um, you know, that, that we're tempted to, at least tempted to not like this parable. Um, because we like for things to be, quote-unquote, fair. 
right? We like for things to be fair. We like things to be equal. We like for things to be the same. And when we read this, you know, it doesn't, you know, it kind of grates against something within us that, you know, people who only worked one hour would receive the same as people who worked for the entire day. Like, there's part of us that we have, I think we have to admit, like, if we're in the first group, we don't like it. Now, if we're in the last group, we're pretty stoked. Like, I worked an hour and I got a full day's, you know, wage. That, that, that's pretty great. Um, you know, like it if you're in the last group, but kind of upset about it if you're in the first group. Like, th- that's not fair. And that's what these fir- those in the first group actually said. You know, this isn't fair. So it's an interesting thing about perspective. You know, perspective is an interesting thing in many circumstances, you know, and and I think that's one of those deals where from perspective, you need to put yourself in each, the shoes of each one um, and and put yourself in the shoes of the one who hires, the shoes of the one who came to work first, in the shoes of the one who came at the end of the day, um, you know, to gain, you know, better perspective. But those who are upset are upset because they are comparing themselves with those who came later in the day. And that's where their you know, envy or their anger you know, comes from. Their sense of injustice comes from. If other people hadn't been hired later in the day, they wouldn't have had anything to be jealous about. You know, they would have they would have worked, they would have received their money, they would have gone home, they would have said, I got a fair, you know, day's pay for a fair day's work, you know, and it's all, it's all good. But because they saw someone else receive, you know, a, a benefit that they didn't, that's what stoked their envy, their, the jealousy that was within them. They couldn't be upset at what they had agreed to with the landowner. The landowner tells them this, you know, didn't you agree to work for this amount for this day? You know, it's kind of interesting because the others, they didn't know what they were going to receive. He just said, I'll get, at the end of the day, I'll, I'll give you, you know, what's fair. You know, the ones at the beginning, they actually, you know, they, they had agreed, you know, on a, kind of a, a contract you know, we're going to work this amount, we're going to work a day, and we're going to receive a day's wage. But the others kind of went in not really knowing you know, the fullness of what they were going to get out of the, the scenario. You know, there, there are some applications here. Um, I think we have to be careful in this, in this parable not to you know, make this to, you know, about things that Jesus isn't making this about. He, he is saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. He is not saying this should be the normal practice for labor and pay throughout the rest of history or something like that. You know, he's, he's not doing that. To take it and, and make it that sort of thing is wrong. Um, you know, and, and to make it about, well... Um, you know, a person reads this and says, well, if I'm going to get the same at the end, I'm just going to wait till the end of my days and I'm going to get right with God and, you know, everything's going to be great. Yeah, don't do that either. That's not the point of the parable. There's a lot of things we say, that's not the point of the parable. Don't make that sort of an application. 
but you know the real one of the real keys I think to this parable for for us in our in terms of our application is that there's a call here to stop playing the comparison game. Because when you go back in the, the end of chapter 19, you know, Peter asked this question, you know, we've left everything, what then will we have? You know, like, what are we going to get out of this? It's his question. And, you know, and, and there's with that, and, you know, Jesus tells them, well, I'm, you know, you're going to have these, these thrones and Judges 12 times, I mean, they're going to get a great thing. But then he, he follows that up with this. It's like, don't be so concerned about what you're getting. And don't be so concerned about comparing what you're getting compared to what somebody else is getting. Stop playing that comparison game. That comparison game leads to envy and strife and unhappiness, discontent. It leads to a cancer in your heart. Uh, you know, that comparison game we play, but Lord, this, this other servant of yours was given this and this, and I only received that. We can do it in all sorts of things. Or this other servant of yours was given this amazing job, and, and it comes with all these perks and all this money, and I have to do this. That's not fair, Lord. Lord, this other person, you know, I like to sing, but this other person was given such a better voice than I have. You know, Lord, I like to say this other person was given, you know, or, or, Lord, I, I, I like to play sports, but this other person was given all of this talent. Man, what would I do if I had that? And so we can play this comparison game. Looking at others. But Lord, this other church has this and that and the other thing. So we need to stop that. What we need to be concerned about is, individually, what is my relationship with Jesus? Am I doing the things that please him? Am I doing what he asked me to do in the circumstances? If he, asked, if he called me in the morning, I was one of the ones he called in the morning, and he asked me to work all day in the scorching heat, you know, am I going to do that with a joy for the service itself? And not complain at the end of the day. If my life is, you know, easier than some other believers, am I going to have the right attitude about it and not go, oh, well, I've got this favored status with God. To not play that comparison game because it leads to discontent. And what we see in this here is that the Lord is generous. That's another principle of it. You know, and, and in a certain sense, they, you know, they all received in this particular parable, and we don't see this throughout all of what Jesus says, in this particular parable, they all received the same, but they work different. There's still something that's unequal in the equation. Okay? Um. And, and I, I think, again, we have to go back you know, to the, the generosity of God and to understand that without His grace and His love for us, all of us receive nothing. 
you know, in this case, if he wants to, you know, the landowner who has the vineyard, he's within full right just to let his crops rot in the field. He doesn't have to hire anybody. You know, he's not obligated, you know, to hire anyone to do anything. You know, he, he, he is the owner of the field. And so we need to understand that without the extreme generosity of God, none of us have anything. But because God loves us, and because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again, we believe in him, we all receive this equal status as children of God. We all receive that. That baseline equal status that we're, we're all getting made to be children of God. So whether you came to know him when you were you know, four years old, <coughs> 20 years old, 40 years old, or 80 years old, you get to be a child of God. You get interested in the heaven. Like this baseline that you receive is incredible and is, is sufficient in itself. And so with that, with all the other things of life, you know, we don't need to live this life of, of jealousy towards others. Now what I would say with that is that that's hard. You know, there's a hard piece to that. Because, because you know, we have eyes. And we have ears. You know, and we have emotions, like right? Like we, we see and, and we hear and we feel. But learning to con- control that, learning to control that and to say, you know, no, those aren't good thoughts. Those aren't healthy thoughts. Those aren't good things for me. I need to focus. Jesus, what do you have for me? What do you have for me, you know, to do? Um, and can I do it with a joyful heart? And, you know, in a certain sense, just do the work for the joy of doing the work. You know, it's, it's a, there's, a, there's, you know, and obviously in a, you know, again, we're not misapplying this. We're not telling people, hey, you know, in your workplace, I mean, you know, just, just work for free, and if they happen to give you something at the end of the day, you know, that's great. You know, no. But all of what, what we do is for the, to be for the Lord. In any setting, in any context, is for the Lord. And, you know, to enjoy serving whatever the Lord has you to do for the joy of serving itself. For the joy of pleasing the Lord. You know, not for the joy of the accolades. You know, and, and it's an interesting thing, and we'll talk about this more later as we continue through the book of Matthew, but it seems now like whenever you, if you ever go to like a, a Christian conference and there's speakers and, you know, you just, you know it's the introductions, you know, this is so-and-so, written these, you know, books to, church this size or this that and the other thing it's it's a you know these are you know this is where they went to school these are their degrees these are the accomplishments you know to put the and and the point of that is to put the person on a pedestal and then what they says 
has authority because of all they've done before. As opposed to being just comparing what a person says to the word of God and is it true or not. Does it help me understand that more? Does it amplify that? Does it encourage me to walk with Jesus? But there's so much of, in this, you know, people want the acclaim and are jealous of the acclaim. And so when they get to that spot, they want the same sort of thing said about them. And that's, it's a real problem. Because, you know, what, is, what does Jesus say? And we'll read this coming up here in a couple of chapters. What does Jesus say? Don't call anybody Father. We have one father. Don't call anybody teacher. You have one teacher. Like, bottom line, Jesus isn't all that impressed with all of that stuff. What he wants is people who just do whatever they're assigned to do joyfully and without looking for the acclaim, the extra, the fairness of it all, all the other things. Just do your work. Whatever work you've been given, just do your work. Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. We okay with that? We're okay with things being different in God's economy, that he judges differently and he looks at things differently. Keep, you know, keep going back to that idea that we, we hit on last week, that you know, I think a lot of it's going to be the people who did the lowliest, in human terms, the lowliest jobs, but did it without grumbling, without complaining, did it out of love for their Savior. Like Those are the ones who are going to be honored where it counts. In the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is telling us when it comes to how he operates, that you know, at the end of the day, people are going to be surprised at who you know who is and who isn't, you know, at the end. But you know, we have a hard time getting this, and and, and this is going to be illustrated here in a minute. Because after all these things have been said, now Jesus says this in verse 17 17 through 19, which is a really key um, portion of the book. It was just a few verses. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And we'll hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. So now this is the third time that Jesus has told his disciples that, you know, he's going to die and he's going to be raised from the dead. This is the third time. But now there's a key part of the beginning as Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem. Like This is just fixing to happen. Now, this is, so this is a hinge point in the book. Things are about to shift in a major way because, you know, we had, we had the first couple chapters about the, the birth of Jesus and the prophecies <coughs> concerning that. 
And then in chapter 3, you get to the you know, beginning of the public ministry of Jesus, and you have almost three full years from chapter 3 to chapter 20, and then chapters 21 through 28, all except for the end of, very end of 28, are, you know, like a week. You know, it, it's, it's all going to be compacted here into this, to, into this end. And so the very end gets a, a lot of the space, you know, of the book. And a lot of, you know, key and important things happen here. But we need to remember, at this point, the disciples that were called at the beginning to be the, you know, the closest to Jesus, to walk with him everywhere he went in his public ministry for almost three years. Now here, we're headed to Jerusalem. Jesus says very explicitly that he's going to be delivered or betrayed, you know, to give to the chief priests and the scribes. They're going to condemn him to death. He's going to be given to the Gentiles, you know, to the Romans. They're going to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he'll be raised up. Now, that should have, like, total attention. Verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, James and John, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And they said to him, We are able. And he said to them, My cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but for those who have been prepared by my Father. Let's stop there for a minute. So again, that timing. About to go to Jerusalem, about to go to the crucifixion. And then you've got, you know, moms, you know, they, they want what's best for their children, right? But, I mean, James and John have still been disciples for almost three years. They've just heard what Jesus said, and they are with their mother going to make this request. Because somehow they still don't get it. In their minds, Jesus is still about just to conquer, you know, set up this insurrection and this revolution and, you know, take over Israel and kick the Romans out and reestablish the land as its own autonomous nation. No longer a slave to the Roman Empire. And so, you know, she wants her sons each on one side. Now, it's, it's kind of cool she didn't play favoritism there. She didn't say for the, you know, one to have the higher place than the other one. But, you know, just whatever. She didn't go that far. But, that, I mean, wow. What a thing to ask. What a thing for Jesus to have to endure for like almost three years. And they still don't get it. They still don't get it. Because again, what does he say to this? You don't know what you're asking. Okay? It's true. And he said, are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? Because again, what does he just say? He's about to go to be crucified. Now they don't understand what's about to happen. 
even though he said it very explicitly, they're still not getting it. Now, oh yeah, we can, we can do that. <laughs> what they're really saying there that they don't understand they're saying is, yeah, we can be mocked and scourged and you know, beaten and spit upon and hung to a cross and you're right with you, Jesus. They don't understand that the way to the throne is through a cross. They don't get that part. But then Jesus says to them, my cup you shall drink. You know, we're studying the book of Revelation. John, in exile on this very uninhabitable island, island of Patmos. Yeah, he had to suffer some. He didn't know fully what he was getting himself into, but he, he's there. And then Jesus says, this isn't, you know, the, this is um, the Father's decision. Now, what's really interesting about that is earlier, he already told them, you know, when the kingdom would come, they were going to get to sit on these thrones. One of the, you know, they get to sit on these 12 thrones. It's kind of interesting that, you know, that wasn't good enough. You know, not just one of the 12 thrones, but, you know, the ones right next to Jesus, one on the left, one on the right. And then in verse 24, and hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. They are agitated. They are agitated. Now, because, and it's interesting, their agitation, you know, we have to, I think we can pretty safely say this. Their agitation isn't, hey, you guys don't get it. This is what Jesus is saying. We're, we're, our position is to serve. We've already been told we're going to get to some of these 12 tribes. I mean, like, it doesn't matter who sits where. Like, you know, I mean, let's just serve Jesus for the joy of serving Jesus. No. They're like, who do you think you are? I am a better disciple <laughs> than you are. That's what's in their heads. I deserve that award. And you know, one of them might be right. You know, I don't know. I mean, but it doesn't matter is the point. But you know, this is in each one of us because each one of us has been at an award ceremony and some award has been given and somebody's name is called and you're like, can't believe that wasn't my name that was just called. Should have got that one. You know, like... it, it, you know, hey, if you've never had that thought where, you know, you're either much less competitive than I am or you're a better person than I am. But one of those. One of those. But, again, they don't get it. So, verse 25, Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. 
And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now again, this sounds great. It sounds noble. It sounds awesome. Our spirit agrees with it is right, and our flesh fights against it. Because our flesh wants the positions of power and the acclaim and everything that comes with it. But Jesus is humble. And he, he came to serve and he expects his followers to do the same. His economy is utterly different. Listen to how it so flipped. You know this is the way among the Gentiles. You know, I mean, and, and his way of saying that is like, kind of like all who are ungodly. And I mean, you can be a, and many of the Jewish people had this exact same mentality. I mean, we see that in the Pharisees and the scribes, the Sadducees, like, don't misunderstand what he's saying here. But he has given an example. He's like, you see, you know, how the Roman rulers that you're so upset about oppressing, like, you see how they operate. You know, you you see how they use their and abuse their power and their authority. You're not supposed to be this way. Because you know what, you know, as this new thing starts, you know, the church, these apostles, these, you know, the disciples become the apostles, and they have this authority and this, you know, power in the church. They're not supposed to abuse that. But they are supposed to be humble servants looking to serve everyone else. So Jesus says, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. To serve. He says the son of man, that, again that title of deity that he's used about himself through from the book of Daniel that he's used several times here as we've gone through this study. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life. So this is how its greatness is in the kingdom of God. It's like you serve, and you serve to the point that you're willing to give your life for others. Those who do such, those are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Those who serve to the point of giving all, including their lives. It's like, well, maybe that doesn't sound so great anymore. You know, because again, God's economy is different. We need to understand it as such. And that's, again, where I go back to that thing, you know, that we have, you know, this, this paradox always in, the, in, the, in Christianity or in church communities between what Jesus said and how he expects it to be when it comes to authority, when it comes to responsibility, when it comes to service, when it comes to this whole deal. And yet, a lot of times, when it comes to power and acclaim and these things, it doesn't look any different than how the Gentiles do it. And that's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. 
And it's hard to get it right because what Jesus is asking us to do really can't be done in the flesh. It can only be done in the spirit and the power of the spirit and in walking with Jesus day by day in extreme humility. I mean, it's our flesh, my flesh, grates against the teachings of Jesus here. See, this is the issue. Like, we get what Jesus is saying, and theoretically, it sounds awesome. But in practice, and in our hearts, and in our flesh, we much more agree with the disciples who are jockeying for position and arguing about position and who's the greatest and all of that for, the pur- for their own benefit and for the purpose of being served. Like, practically, we're much closer to them a lot of the times than we are to Jesus and what he expects of us. Like we say, that sounds great, theoretically. But when the rubber meets the road, when you know, all of it plays out, does the heart still not want its fame? Does the mind still not want its acclaim? You get more joy out of serving or of being served. You know, that's the, that, it's tough. It's tough. It's one of those things we really got. We agree with you, Jesus. And then live life in disagreement with Jesus. And so we need help. We need humility. We need to say, Lord, we can't do this without you. You know, we, and, and this is the thing, when Jesus gives that, you know, that parable of, you know, he's the, he's the vine, we're the branches. Like, we're, he's the source, right? He's the source of all the power and ability, all the resources necessary to live it like he wants us to live it. He's the source of all that. So we have to have him in order to do that. My flesh can't do this. My flesh doesn't even want to do this. How's your flesh going to uh, you know, actually practice out what it doesn't want to do at all? No, it's got to be in the spirit. It's got to be in that change. That change has to come out of relationship with Jesus and walking with him very closely. Seeing who he is and imitating him. He said, you know, we have one teacher. We have to walk with him and imitate him. Now, let's finish with this in verses 29 through 34. It says, as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord Have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. 
Now, there's a couple things in here that are, that are key. These men were blind physically, but they could see spiritually better than a lot of people. Because they understood Jesus to be the son of David. So that is that call to the Messiahship, that Jesus is the Messiah. So they can see spiritually, even though they can't see physically. A lot of the religious leaders, even the religious leaders, could see physically, but they couldn't see spiritually. And those who were, you know, I don't know how long they were blind, but if they were blind from being really young, you know, then obviously that would affect education. Um, that would affect affect opportunities. You know, for work, you know, usually people that in this time that were blind, you know, had to, you know, to if they didn't have the support of family to take care of all their needs, you know, they would have to beg. But they got the most important thing in the universe right. They saw clearly the most important thing in the universe. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised one. Jesus is all who he says he is. And they begged him to have mercy on them. And, you know, they asked for that practical need. And there's certainly nothing wrong when you have a practical need like that to ask Jesus for it. He said, Lord, we want our eyes to be open. It says that Jesus was moved with compassion for them. Again, we see the compassion of our Savior and King. And he touched their eyes. Immediately they regained their sight and followed him. You know, they followed him on up to Jerusalem. You know, I'm, I'm confident with those eyes that were then opened, they witnessed the public trial, the public parts of the trial of Jesus. They witnessed him go to the cross and be crucified on their behalf. You know, and that's, and that's one of those things where, yeah, there were many in the crowds who, you know, saw what Jesus did, who turned their backs on him, that, you know, were among those who shouted, crucify him. But, you know, we can be assured, I believe, that, you know, that when we know the disciples, the women who followed Jesus, I think these two blind men would be in that category who watched with dismay and horror at what they saw. But here's something really interesting about this. When Jesus was passing by and they're asking, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. It says, the crowd sternly told them to be quiet. There's a lesson here for us. Don't let the crowd keep you from being in the presence of Jesus. Don't let the crowd keep you from calling out for help. Don't let the crowd... Keep you from following him. Don't let the crowd keep your heart from worshiping Jesus with all that you have. And don't let your own barriers keep you from those things either. You know, I, we're not told whether they were extroverts or introverts. But they didn't let any timidness or distractions or anything else keep them from what they needed most. To be in the presence of Jesus. 
And so I think that's the call for us this morning and all that. You know, if, 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 you wanna, if we want to live with that servant heart according to the way that Jesus wants us to live, if we want to live without jealousy and envy of others, we have to see with spiritual eyes, we have to see as Jesus sees, and we have to you know, walk closely with him. And in order for that to happen, we need to be unhindered by all the barriers, to you know, have all those pushed aside in the name and power of Jesus, and don't let anything keep us from his feet. That's the call for us today. Don't let anyone else, don't let any distractions, don't let anything in your own heart or mind, don't let any sin, don't let any hindrance keep you, keep me from worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. There is so much in this world, so much in our individual lives. Nothing more important than worshiping at the feet of Jesus. You know, that's the thing that I keep coming back to myself, like, Chet, you know, because you, know, you can complain about these, these dudes. You know, walking with Jesus for almost three years, you know, in physical presence, you know, I mean, that's a big deal. Right? But in the Spirit... You know, I've been walking with Jesus since I believed in him when I was four years old. That's 38 years now. Then goes to 38 years of walking with Jesus. And yet, I still mess it up so much. And messing it up usually revolves around not enough time at his feet. I mean... We, we do all these things about getting your life right. Like, you know, how to, how to be successful and, you know, how to make a difference and how to have life right, right? And we, we'll go to workshops, we'll read articles, we'll do all the things. But man, the life that is spent, the, the life that's, the person who spends time, the life that spends time, at the feet of Jesus every day doesn't mess it up. It's like that's the like, like the one foolproof thing you can do not to mess up your own life. I mean, you can't control what everybody else around you does. But the one foolproof thing that you can do to like have your right life and not miss out on the will of God and do you know what He's called you to do is just spend time at His feet every day. Spend time at the feet of Jesus every day. Your life's going to be what Jesus wants it to be. And like, it's like, it's that simplistic. Yet, in practice, it's really hard because there are a thousand other things that says, I'm needed now. You don't have time because this work thing now. This family thing, now. This entertainment thing, now. This little hobby, now. This other thing you got, now. This volunteer work, now. This everything, now. Everything is now, 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 now. This person just texted you, now. Phone's ringing, now. Email's coming in, now. But if we don't learn 
to, if we don't learn, and I need to relearn this, but if we don't learn to turn everything off, to turn everything off, you know, the, you know the, I love our phones. You know, the Bible app on our phones, that's great. But the problem with having your quiet time with your Bible app, have you turned off all text messages and emails and phone that nothing can enter in there? Like, I don't really even know how to do that. Tech savvy as some people. But it's, it's, like, it's basically like, I'm going into an environment where I'm inviting distraction. Inviting distraction. It's like, just the printed, you know, take the printed word. And time, you know, set a timer. And nothing interrupts this time, this space. Find it, wherever it is. We need to do that. And if we do that, we won't mess it up. If we don't do that, we're probably already messing it up. That's just the bottom line to it all. We've got to have the discipline to turn everything off in order to turn on that line of communication with Jesus. Let's pray. Help us, Lord, to be like these blind men who saw so well spiritually, to not let anything, any others, to not let the crowd, to not let all the distractions get in the way of what they needed most Jesus, to be at your feet. Help us to carve out each day, to carve out that time and space to be at your feet. Lord, forgive me and help me to do that more consistently. Lord, help us to put away the distractions so we can see as you see, so we can be the servants you've called us to be, so that we can Stop living lives of envy and and jealousy and comparison. And Lord, just live the life that you've given to us for your glory and for your honor and service to this world that you love so much, Jesus, you went to the cross for. We pray that we would be so privileged to see more and more pass from death into life. Thank you for each conversation that was had this week by people in our church family with those who don't know you yet, encouraging them to know you. Lord, bless those conversations, please, and bring fruit for those. Please provide more opportunities this week and give us the courage and boldness and strength to take them for your glory and honor and for the good of those people. Help us to love you. In your name, Jesus, we ask it.